Wonderful. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. When you find your way there to chapter 3 verse 16, if you will stand with me in reverence of the reading of God's word. I know this is a very familiar passage, but as I ask the early service, uh, I pray that you'd not let the familiarity of it get in the way with the message of it, and hear from the Lord this morning. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 16, the book of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I want to share with you this morning, we're going to be talking about love expressed as we continue with our Advent uh, series. 
But I want to share with you just for a couple of moments before you seat uh, the truths of this passage. In this passage, we are shown God's regard for the entire world and that he loved the world so much that he would send his only begotten son. We understand in this passage that he was sent for our redemption. It says very clearly that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the purpose for his coming. We also know that many have rejected and many more will reject this veritable gift of God. We also see in verse 17 his reason for coming or his reason for sending, and that is not to condemn but to redeem, that the world through him might be saved. And we see again in verse 18 the reality of it all. And that is that light came into the world and men ran from it. And they today still run from the light. And they run to the darkness because of the wickedness of their deeds. And in verses 19 through 21 we see a revelation. And the revelation is that, that, <laughs> that they run from the light of God. God is not condemned. God has offered to redeem. Men have condemned themselves in running from the light. I hope you pray with me as we prepare for our morning. Pray that the Lord will speak to you today in a way that you've not heard from him lately, that he'll illuminate some truth for you that will help you walk differently throughout this holiday season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good day. Lord, we're grateful for all that you do for us. Lord, we are so thankful to be able to come together this morning and to worship together, to sing and to praise. But Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity as well, this time of worship and word. Lord, I pray that we come in humility. I pray, Lord, that we come seeking. And God, I pray that in that, you'll do a work in our lives. Father, I pray, uh, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, could it be that they would see light today, that they would hear truth today, and that they would respond to that truth. Father, for those of us who are here, who are born again, who know that day of redemption, Lord, I pray that we would remember again the blessing of it, and that as we walk from here today, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Lord, I pray that you do a work in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We began last week a, a simple series just expressing uh, or sharing the themes of the Advent. And of course, last week we looked at hope and we looked at the idea that hope is embodied in the Christ child. This week, I'm hoping to uh, share with you how love is expressed. Love is expressed in the gift of Christ. Uh, if we were looking to define that gift, uh, we would say that it is inclusive of his miraculous birth. It, it includes his matchless life, that it includes his meaningful ministry, that it would be inclusive of that mock trial wherein they would spit upon him and, and smote him. It includes his mediatorial death, burial, and resurrection. That is vicarious. He did that 
for you, as you, in your place, for me, as me, in my place, and it would include his current majesty at the right hand of God. What, what better thought to focus on this week than the love of God, that love which is expressed in the facts of the Christmas story. As we look through and consider the Christmas story, uh, we, we might be enthralled with the truth that God looked ahead in time to prepare a way of salvation and redemption for fallen man. Usually you and I are impressed, I would say. I, I know I am certainly. Uh, the words of the song define how that when Christ was on the cross, I was on his mind. I've always been smitten by that thought. I've always uh, been enamored by that thought. But can I tell you this morning that uh, that, that forethought goes way back before that. It's, it's, it's much earlier than that that God thought ahead and saw the need of mankind and the falling of mankind and their uh, way before time, uh, he would be prepared. We could be enthralled with that truth. We could be encouraged by the facts that are prophesied that we've already looked at some of those. Those prophesied before time and the fulfillment of those circumstances already in, in accuracy. And we could be encouraged by that. And not only that there have been and they are being fulfilled, but that they will continue to be fulfilled just as they have already been. We could be edified by the thought of the remainder of those prophecies that will come to pass. And you may be like I am. You may just be excited. You may just be excited in the idea, the, the truth that the penalty of your sin has been paid. There's no searching for an answer. There's no groping in the darkness of finding our own way to God, which we could never find. That penalty has been paid. That debt has been sealed. And we don't have to worry this Christmas season about how or how will I get to God I know that I get to God through Christ Jesus, the one who's paid my debt, and I can look into eternity and think about those things during this Christmas season. But the truth is, no matter how we slice it, that love has been expressed. Love was expressed in the gift of Christ. Love was expressed in the gift of God. And this morning, I want to take a few minutes here in this passage, and I, I don't usually do topical things. That's why I shared with you the other outline to absolve my conscience a little bit. I just want to talk to you about the love of God this morning. I think that this passage probably is the greatest revelation of that love. I want you to understand these five very simple truths about the love of God. First off, that it is a timeless love. It is a timeless love. Peter describes for us in his epistle, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, he says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, listen, before the foundation of the world, but was manifest for you in these last days. 
But when Christ uh, makes that entry at Bethlehem, when Christ comes in the form of that infant and we follow his life and we see that, as we've already talked about, that matchless life and that meaningful ministry, that was not the beginning of Christ. That was the revelation of Christ unto us. His beginning is, is much before that. Uh, again, John, writing in the book of Revelation, refer, refers to him as the lamb slain before the foundation of time. You and I have a, a clear understanding of, of how uh, that, that God was, is, and, and was, uh, has a plan and a purpose for the ages and how he is carrying out that plan and purpose. And the scriptures lay it out for us in detail and we can see our own involvement in it and we can see how God is working in our life. And we understand that, but, but some would look at Christmas and think, well, that was God making things right. Things were made right before they ever went wrong. God was so far out in front of that. It, we would see that birth and understand that's the fruition of God's plan. But some would see it and say, well, it's a catch up or a, a, a fix it or a come from behind. But that plan is older than creation itself. The plan is eternal and the implications of it are eternal as well. Peter says we've been bought for a price redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb and it was settled before the foundation of time. As we would look through the scriptures and we would see these high water marks of human history in the scriptures and we would think about that plan that would come to fruition starting in the birth of the child but that plan was long before sin robbed Adam and Eve of their Eve of their freedom it was long before the flood to cleanse it was long before the confusion at Babel it was before Abram was called it was before Isaac was offered it was before Moses was chosen and before the parting of the sea, before the giving of the law, before the crowning of David, before the wisdom of Solomon, before you were ever imagined by your ancestors, that lamb was slain before the foundation of time. The love of God is, is timeless. And the birth is not the beginning. It is the expression of love towards us. Because in the birth, John would say in chapter 1, verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of God. It's a timeless love. It is a, a timeless love that we have been given by God. It's also a, a tested love. We would think through our scriptural minds and we would think through our scriptural memory and we would consider that, that meaningful life and all that went into it and all of those tests and trials and tribulations that were placed upon Christ. And each one was because he loved you and he died for you. Forty days and forty nights of temptation. It would bring us the passage in the book of Hebrews that would tell us that we don't have a high priest who cannot understand or hasn't been touched with our feelings and our infirmities, but this high priest was in all points tempted like as you and I are, yet without sin. We would see that the beauty of that test showing 
the love that Christ has for us. We would consider three years of ministry fully scrutinized. I, I would love to have given you a, a feature verse right there, but there's just so many. So many times they would come to Christ and question him and they would challenge him and they would challenge his motives and his, and his means and they would challenge his disciples and they would challenge his authority. Fully scrutinized was that ministry. But, but Christ would live that for you and I, a life of poverty and scarcity. The disciples would say, I'll follow you anywhere. And he would say, think about that. Because the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. When we imagine the very king of glory, the very creator, the, the God of all heaven and earth coming down and, and presenting himself in the most humble form and then living that life for you and I. Certainly flesh would not reveal itself that way. Only God could do that. And we see that life of scarcity and poverty. We see that one exceedingly sorrowful night in the Garden of Gethsemane, also known as the Garden of the Press. And there, our Christ would be pressed. He would say to his disciples, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He would say to the Father, Lord, if there's any way, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We have this concept of love in our culture, and it's easy. And it comes and goes. But that's not the love that God has given. God's love has been tested. But we would say, well, love is easy to say, but harder to do. We would understand that in every relationship that we uh, humans would engage in, there are uh, factor in some storms and some difficulties. And we would say, but if you're diligent, if you're faithful, if you're true, that, that relationship will become more special. And we would say even good friendships are built on adversity. But I cannot think of any relationship. I can't think of one. I've tried. I can't think of any relationship that has ever been so tested as the love that Christ has offered you and I. Not one. That the idea that he would leave everything, that he would come to us, become as us, and then die for us. Paul would say uh, that, that he, uh, Christ who knew no sin, was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. We, we have the whole idea of the imputation of the righteousness of God so that we might inherit that relationship, his exchange, his glory, exchanged for a flesh of robe, a robe of flesh and a cruel cross. This love is timeless. This love is thoroughly tested. I also thought about the, the trial. The love has been tried. It has been put under the greatest pressure. We could read all of those gospel accounts and we could get into all the, the cruelty and the gruesome 
aspects of it. They, he would say in Matthew 26, they spit in his face, they buffet him, they smote him with the palms of their hands. It would describe for us in John chapter 19 how Pilate would send him out to be scourged. We could go into the hor horrible details of that scourging. And, and then as a, as a benefit of that, they would crown him with a, a crown of thorns pressed down into his brow. They would robe him, they would smote him some more, they would send him out to carry his cross, and then finally we would read in Matthew 27, they crucified him. That's for you and me. That is the trial. We sing the song he could have called 10,000 angels. The beauty of that is he could have, but he chose rather to endure the cross, despising the shame for the glory that lay ahead. He would do that for you and for me. And in the birth of the Christ child, we're reminded of that love, the expression of that love. The song would say, oh, what love he was there showing. Oh, what love was on display. As the Savior bravely perished, so our sins would wash away. That's love. And that's the love that's expressed here, this Christ, this, this man was blameless. He was spotless. He was sinless. He was without guile. Yet he was pursued. He was arrested. He was charged. He was tried. He was convicted. He was sentenced and finally crucified like a common criminal for the sins of the world. Well, whose sins are those? Well, they're your sins. And they're my sins. But he would bear that burden. They're the sins of our children, the sins of our grandchildren. There he would finish that cross. I love Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I know that you all are familiar with that. And, 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 and we could just turn there and read how Paul would say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul writing there to encourage the believer and, and there extolling uh, the, the virtues of the work that Christ had done. Uh, this paraphrase is something that speaks to me. It's out of that same passage. Uh, let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He is your example in humility, who although being one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes of God, did not think that equality with God was a thing to eagerly be retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the role of a servant or a slave in that he became like men and was born a human. And after that he had appeared in human form, he abased himself and humbled himself and carried his obedience to the extreme death, even the death of the cross. That is a tried love, a love expressed, the love expressed by the birth of Christ is the love of God. The love is timeless. It has been tested. It has been tried. There's another truth that I thought about this week. I spent some time considering this. I had the hardest time putting this into words. I hope maybe it'll, I hope maybe it'll convey itself. It's a triggering love. The love of God is a triggering love. The love of Christ is a triggering love. Listen to this passage in 1 John chapter 4, and I know that you're relatively familiar with it. 
He says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that hath fear is not made perfect in love. Listen to this verse. We love him because he first loved us. It's a triggering love. Because God loved us first, we are enabled to love him. He would go on to say, if a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. We love God because of the love that God has shown towards us. His love triggers our love for him and not just for him. But his love triggers our love for other mankind. We are given at Salvation, a heart that loves. We're given compassion. We're given a desire to see others enjoy and embrace the love that we have been given. That is a triggering love. And it's expressed in the birth of Christ. So we, we have this thought. It's timeless. It's, it's tested. It's tried. It's a triggering love. And lastly this morning, it is a true love. It is a true love. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's, there's two, at least two ways to exemplify that verse. The, the one is that we were enemies of God. We were at war with God. We were actively engaged in a rebellion against God when Christ died for us. There's another that I just, uh, just uh, realized the other day, and I know that we have spoken on this topic before, but that paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, he's a very good exposition of this verse. That man paralyzed, he was completely without strength, he was completely unable to help himself, had been that way for 30-some years. Christ would say to him, do you want to be whole? Well, he says, I have no one to help me. I've tried to get to the pool. I can't get there. Before I get there, someone else gets there. And what he was saying was, steals my blessing. Christ said, that, that's not what I ask you. I ask you, will you be made whole? That's a, that is a picture of Romans 5.8. Christ died for us when we were without strength. We were without capability. We were completely unable to do anything about our lost estate. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That's true love. Can I tell you, that is, that is a love that is only available in a true love, an agape love, a, a love that is sacrificial, that loves 
others. It is not based upon merit. It is not based upon talent. It is not based upon inherent worth. It is rather self-sacrificial. It is self-motivated. But it is never self-centered. It's an undeserved love. It's an unearned love. And can I tell you what's very sad about that? Is that according to this passage and many others like it, it's often an unrequited love. He loves us and we reject him. He dies for us and we live for us. It is unrequited. I've often thought about that concept. That concept of all that Christ did to express his love and display his love for us. The, the leaving of the throne and glory, the, the departure from all of his godly attributes, the, the endurance of life as a pauper, the, the entrance of life as a baby, a child dependent on others, uh, the ministry in which he was not appreciated, the false trial, the conviction, the crucifixion, the, the gruesome form of death, all of that that Christ did to express his love, and yet we live in an age when they'll say, well, all you got to do is believe. You just believe, and you can just go on living your life because God did all the heavy lifting. Isn't it interesting that that's the way our society would present that? that you just, just add this to your accoutrements, and you can continue being who you are and who you were, and how you were. You don't need to worry about anything else. God did all the heavy lifting. And Paul would say, I beseech you, brethren. I beg you. By what? By the mercies of God. What is the mercies of God? Oh, it would include the fact that he left his throne in glory. It would include that he had nowhere to lay his head. It would include the fact that they beat him and they whipped him and they scourged him and they crucified him. It would include all those. And Paul would say, I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would yield your life a living sacrifice unto him. Not that you would just glibly believe and go about your life that you would say I have spent my entire life living for me and that man died for me I'm going to live for him yield your body that's love God loved us when we were unlovely died for us when we were yet without strength died for us while we were railing against him his love is a true love. It's expressed in the birth of Christ, wherein God is our Emmanuel. Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. The question is direct. It's, it's very specific. Do you know the love of God personally? Do you know it personally? Personally. 
Has it transformed your life? Because it will, the love of God. It'll give you true liberty. It'll teach you to love others. The song says, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. Would you come this morning? The altar's open. Whatever your need, would you come this morning? Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest art and reaches to the lowest the guilty parents bowed down with care. God gave his son to win his erring child. He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with made for every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels Thank you so much for your attendance this morning, your attention. And uh, we do have a, a, a budget conference following this service. We're going to take about a, about five or six minutes to turn around. Uh, you're welcome to stay if you're a visitor. It's all good news. It always is. The Lord takes good care of us here. Uh, but uh, we do encourage you to stay if you're a member. And uh, once we close in prayer, we're going to take about five minutes and get turned around, and then we'll start the conference. But once again, I pray, as always, that you'll meditate on these truths and think about the love of God this week, think about how, how, what he's done for you and what he continues to do. I'm grateful for you today. I'm thankful that you're here. Brother Larry, would you uh, close us in prayer, sir?